Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. If you've ever seen a three-year-old playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or Bach on a tiny violin, chances are they're a student of the Suzuki method, the musical education style created by Shinichi Suzuki, and the way many American children have learned to play classical music on the violin, or cello, viola, piano. But less is known about Suzuki himself or his broader vision to redefine education beyond music. Are you a student of the Suzuki Method? What's a favorite song that you learned? Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Countless children around the world, including me, have been taught the piano, cello, flute, and more using the Suzuki method. And, of course, the violin. But relatively little is known about the method's founder, Shinichi Suzuki, or, according to historian Eri Hota, the purpose of Suzuki's method, which went beyond music and could be seen as revolutionary. Were or are you a student of the Suzuki method? What do you remember most about it? You can tell us your music lesson stories or your favorite Suzuki songs by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at KQED Forum, emailing forum at kqed.org, or calling 866-733-6786. Eri Hota joins me now. She's written a new biography called Suzuki, The Man and His Dream to Teach the Children of the World. Eri Hota, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Nina. I'm also joined by Kathy Lee, a Suzuki Method educator who studied with Shinichi Suzuki. Kathy Lee, so glad to have you on as well. Good morning. Nice to be here. So tell me, Kathy, what would all students of the Suzuki Method likely experience? What are some of the key elements of its approach to musical instruction? In the philosophy, uh, they would feel that they were being guided, developing the character of each child with the help of their teacher and family, of course. So that would be the essence of the Suzuki method on philosophy. And then, of course, as for the music, they would learn individually and with their friends in the very important group lesson. Yeah, we we heard that clip of Twinkle Twinkle, which was definitely a group Twinkle Twinkle. (laughs) Why was the group lesson aspect of it very important, as you say? It was multi-level. I mean, all levels of music were involved in the class with all ages, which means the little ones would hear 
their future of the advanced pieces, and the advanced children would be sharing and, and supporting their, their co little colleagues. So it, it really creates a supportive environment for learning and that you're not learning alone and that you're learning a language together. Yeah. So the Suzuki Method is well-known for starting students at a very young age. Why so young? Because they have the potential. Um, I've taught many years, and the two-year-olds that I've started started because they had an older sibling, and it was part of, part of their environment. I love the two-year-olds. They are so <laughs> precious. They are so precious. They have such curiosity, open-mindedness, and they are quite capable, yes. They would sometimes start with like a cardboard violin, right? Yes, or yes, their box violin that they learned to treat with dignity and respect and carefully so that when they got to the real instrument, they knew how to treat the violin in our case. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the role of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star as one of the first songs or the first song they learn. It, the variations are based um, on the theme by Mozart, of course, and... Each variation presents different bow strokes in the violin's case, different rhythms that they learn. And so it, it provides a strong foundation of the future pieces they'll, they will learn. They'll find those rhythms and bow strokes many times over in the future. Yes. But Ari Hota, as you point out in your book and as Kathy alludes to, the program is not necessarily designed to create professional or a concert musicians. Can you talk about the broader goal that Shinichi Suzuki had with this kind of musical instruction? Of course. I think, um, to put it quite bluntly, I think Suzuki really wanted to change the world, not just the world of music, but he wanted to bring awareness of the potential in each, every child and um, in all of us to learn and improve and develop. And one way to demonstrate that for him as a violinist was to teach very young children violin and how capable, to show the world how capable they are, no matter what you're born with. And uh, his idea was that inequalities that we are born with, um, be they sort of natural flair for music or musicality or whatever, shouldn't prevent them from learning that musical language fluently, because once you get started very young, you can learn violin or whatever musical instrument you choose. In the same way, we all learn mother tongue quite fluently by the age of four or five. Right. In the same way that we learn to speak a language. Uh, one of the things that is very interesting about what he wanted to change is that he wanted to change the way that talent is understood. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. This talent um, T word is a very loaded one because we think of it as a very unequal, um, unequally distributed property that you're born with. But Suzuki really wanted to do away with that kind of exclusivist idea, notion, and definition mm -hmm. of talent, mm -hmm. insisting that each one of us is talented to the extent that we can all learn. Of course, the achievement levels vary according to your capabilities or your whatever you excel at but we can all keep trying and keep you know surprising yourself and surprising your children by guiding them with loving care and with nurturing environment so he wanted to redefine the idea of talent as inborn he wanted to 
need to say to the world, we are all talented to the extent that we can all learn. Yeah, which actually kind of feels like conventional wisdom now. But what was childhood music training like when Suzuki was growing up? I think when Suzuki was growing up, um, I think Western classical music uh, to begin with was very much a kind of limited uh, field. I think generations of Japanese children since the second half of 19th, uh, 19th century started learning uh, Western sort of songs um, and they sang Japanese songs um, to the tune of uh, Western songs like Old, Old Lang Syne and uh, E.M. Foster tunes. But I think uh, classical instruments like the violin, which is very difficult for children and especially for beginners, um, I think it was a very limited um, endeavor. So I think it was considered to be a very high hurdle. And also because children are clumsy and not coordinated, violin would not be the first choice for of instrument for you know, even wealthy parents to gravitate towards. Um, I think pianos or organs would be better choice or a more kind of understandable choice when he was yeah. growing up. Yeah, it's it's he really wanted to make that accessible. Kathy, I'm curious if you do feel that Suzuki, that talent that talent is is a muscle, as, as in a sense, that can be developed and strengthened. When I approach each individual child, I look to see not what you think the typical um, meaning of talent is, but I'm there to just reach and find their potential and to develop it as far as the environment and the situation allows. And so that way you can teach every child. You can have a journey with them. They can be accomplished on the violin, but they can take those skills and apply it to whatever they decide to be in life, which is um, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, too, <clears throat> that Arihota points out in, in her book is that if they did not realize their full potential, that really it was a failure of adults. Uh, do you ag agree and see that through his method, Kathy? I think it's the responsibility of the adults to provide the best environment in which that child can blossom. And so that's why he put, I could see him saying something like that. Um, but it, it takes the child to come into the, into the mix, too. So we encourage yeah. that. Well, well, that line in your book, Ari, is, quote, he believed that the ills of his community stemmed from adults' failure to help children realize their full potential and thereby become enlightened individuals. And I guess, Ari, for his time, what were the ills that troubled him most? Because, amazingly, he was born in 1898 and died in 1998, just shy of his 100th birthday. Indeed. So it was a full century and the tumultuous century at that because we had two world wars, Cold War, and all the rest. Uh, I think Japan itself had undergone tremendous social change in the meantime. So I think he encountered different sets of ills at different times. But I think the, the reason why he became so obsessed with this uh, social revolution through education, um, I think had to do with the militarization of Japan in the 1930s and how Japan went awry with the war. 
and how it had a chance really to rebuild its society in the post-war period. But so few people seem to be paying attention to the role of education. So I think that kind of indifference really exasperated him too. Well, I want to invite listeners to join the conversation. Have you studied music with the Suzuki Method? What was your experience like? As you're hearing more about its founder, do you feel like you felt some of that in your uh, musical development? <laughs> Maybe there's a favorite song that you learned or mastered or something you remember about those group lessons, music lessons, individual music lessons, and that first recital. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. The email address, forum at kqed.org. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Um, Kathy, I want to play uh, Tchaikovsky's Violent Concerto in D Major, the third movement. You had asked us to pull this. Why? In um, using the Tchaikovsky Concerto, he would say to us as teachers and as the adults in the world, envision, have a vision when you teach. Have a vision of the potential of every child. And so Tchaikovsky was one that he used at his, he had a yearly grand concert in Tokyo. And in 1991, he said, look, these children reached this high level, not because they had to be professional musicians, but just because they could. And so that was his vision. And then as far as I had a personal experience with a Tchaikovsky concerto with him as well in a lesson, um, and it was his way of saying, you need to know more than the notes. I would play the Tchaikovsky for him, and he would throw math problems out at me. Oh and say, goodness. give me the right answer and don't miss a note in the Tchaikovsky. <laughs> of course, there's millions of notes in the Tchaikovsky. <laughs> so that was quite the eye-opener. Yeah. Well, let's hear them <laughs> yes. going into the break and talk more about him as a teacher. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Today we're talking about the Suzuki Method, a popular form of musical instruction founded by 20th century Japanese educator Shinichi Suzuki. And of course, we're listening to the happy 
Farmer. <laughs> and uh, we're also joined by Kathy Lee. Kathy Lee is a Suzuki Method educator who studied directly with Shinichi Suzuki and has taught violin for over 40 years. She's also trained dozens of teachers in the Suzuki Method, author of Bow Exercises, Bow Strokes, and Bow Stroke Excerpts. Ari Hota is also with us, a historian and author of the new book, Suzuki, The Man and His Dream to Teach the Children of the World. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation if you've studied music with the Suzuki method, if there's an aspect of it that you treasure or an aspect of it that you loathe. There were certainly music lessons, first recitals, group classes, favorite songs that you mastered or that they got the better of you that we would love to hear your experiences. You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at kqed.org. QED forum, or give us a call now at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And this listener writes, I learned to play piano with the Suzuki method. I don't claim to be great at it. My teacher would often remind me that it was a piano, not a typewriter. But my younger sister started piano at age four and was brilliant at it. She would sit by the stereo speaker listening so carefully to the Suzuki record that came with the books and worked so hard to copy the music she heard. She went on to be a prodigy and studied at USC starting at the age of nine. But even now, many years later, it's those Suzuki books and records that she remembers as starting her joy of joy with music. Kathy Lee, before the break, you were describing what uh, Shinichi Suzuki was like as an instructor. And that was a great story about him throwing math problems at you so that you wouldn't miss a beat. But tell us more about him and what brought you to study with him. I read Nurtured by Love. It was given to me by a college professor. And when I read his first philosophy book, I, I just was amazed and said, I have to meet this person. And my father also read it, and he says, yes, we have to figure out a way for you to get to Japan. So I did. And studying with him, I love to share with my teachers that I train his energy, his joy. There's always a twinkle in his eye, especially when he was about to ask you to do something <laughs> challenging or, uh, yes. So um, I like to keep that creativity. He always taught with a bounce in his step. I studied with him when he was probably in his early 70s. That's when I got there to be with him. Yeah. Well, you know, there. I encourage people to watch videos of Shinichi Suzuki leading groups of students, but we have just a clip, a little clip of Suzuki um, with some young violinists doing a piece, a Bach A minor concerto, where Suzuki is clapping as he keeps time with the students, but we'll hear a little bit of his voice here. Kathy, does uh, hearing Suzuki's voice bring back some memories for you? Almost oh, definitely. When I teach, I hear his voice. In my head, especially when I'm sharing an exercise, particular exercise he taught me. And it just brings back that excitement. Well, let me go to caller Anne in Mountain View, who's on the line. Anne, you're on. Hi. Um, I'm calling because I'm a Suzuki parent or a former Suzuki parent. And um, my experience is that this idea Mr. Suzuki had of 
of music as a language really is very powerful with young children, but then it doesn't really get continued into the later classical education. I think a lot of instructors feel like they're working against the students having learned by ear and having to teach them um, to read music. And unfortunately, in the case of, and you know, my kid had very good violin instructors, but unfortunately, my kid actually had un- unrecognized dyslexia. And this idea of making them rely on the music instead of their ear really, I think, did a disservice to him in many ways in terms of his progress. And when he had a fiddle instructor that once again taught the music as a language, he became you know, a fluent improviser and he ended up working as a fiddle player and, um, and really can play in any situation. Turned yes. out, I learned when he told that in classical situations, he was actually hearing the music once and then he was playing these long symphonies and stuff oh. by ear, by memory. Because, and if, if they had worked with that idea that Mr. Suzuki had that, um, you know, you start with the ear and slowly integrated that, you know, still continuing to rely on the ear and integrated that with the music. I think that would have, for kids like him, been helpful. And, um, you know, I just, I, I wanted to ask your guest about, you know, what was his vision for the progress of, of people's music education into adulthood with this idea of music as a language, because I feel mm-hmm. like that maybe isn't happening. People are distrusting the, the ear training in favor of sheet music. Wow. And you bring up a lot of really important points, but also I love the story about your son. So first, let me go to you, Ari, on that in terms of the connection between music as a language and the as like learning a language and the emphasis of first learning by ear. Right. Um, I learned to play the piano sort of traditional way. Um, I learned to play the piano at the same time as I learned to read the music at the age of maybe three or four, um, relatively young. But just looking at my daughter, who's now 15 and who um, had her first four years of violin instruction in the Suzuki method, her way of connecting with music is much more direct, I can say. But I was also... um, very conscious of this uh, criticism of Suzuki, the method relying too much on the oral stimulation and sort of hearing aspect of it. And I think in the olden days in Japan, the problem was not so problematic because I think once you started grade school at age six, you inevitably learned to read the music in school as part of regular curriculum, but that's not the case with all the schools around the world. And I think um, I think that problem has been highlighted. Um, and I think many Suzuki teachers incorporate school reading much earlier, um, say like sort of maybe at age five or six. And I think in, in my daughter's uh, teacher's case, I, I think she introduced not reading at age six, which was quite helpful. So I think there's a lot of improvisation on the part of uh, of the teacher and guiding adults um, that have to take place depending on what your students' needs are. Sure. And with all things that become a method that needs to be taught through people, broadly distributed, I imagine it becomes, uh, there are a lot of variations that can emerge as a result of it, just like any philosophy. But, but Kathy, to Anne's question about 
integrating score reading or note reading, for example, and how in her case, you actually felt like, um, you know, the vision of learning by ear and not that, if I'm, if I'm paraphrasing and correctly, that not continuing as much uh, into adulthood and where the emphasis becomes more note reading can have a detrimental effect. I'm just curious how you reconcile that as an instructor yourself. You realize that you're teaching them to listen to a language and that as young as, you know, three, you can do what I call pre-reading skills, like flashcards and note names and things like that. But the most important thing is that in the Suzuki method, we can't lose sight of the philosophy about developing the character of every child and being the teacher that that child needs. So in this case, uh, you don't end the Suzuki method. It's a philosophy of developing the whole person and nurturing the whole person. And it's not just about reading or not reading. And so I think that's an important um, point to make. So, yeah. Well, Tom tweets, can we hear how Suzuki based his method on the close involvement of a parent in the training? Why was that important or a part of it, Kathy? Well, when you start them that young, the parent needs to be involved. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you need them at the lesson to take notes. And, but eventually, as the journey continues, you will try to have the parent be less and less involved in the lesson because you want the child to take over the ownership of learning to play that instrument. So yeah. at a natural age between 9 and 12 where they're getting really independent or some younger than that, you the teacher ad should address that as well. Yeah. Well, well, let me get Alcina in Alameda on the line. Hi, Alcina. Join us. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I'm really enjoying this show. Uh, I'm not a professional musician and never have been. I'm 60 years old, and I was a Suzuki baby from four to age four to six, <laughs> and I don't remember a lot about it except that it was very pleasurable. And I, it's really interesting to me because I don't think music instruction has to have an end goal of music. It's more that you have an appreciation and an exposure. And I'm a lifelong music lover. I love music. I sing. I believe that I have good pitch because of that exposure. Yeah. And I also, I really love what your guest is saying about building character because I always felt uh, it was really fun to go and do. And there wasn't a, I didn't have to do anything. It was just really fun to try to copy the sound. So that's all I can remember about it. But I just wanted to share that because there's so much focus on creating the musician or that you're doing this for a purpose rather than exposure and pleasure. So yeah. thank you so much for this show. Well, I'll, thank you, Alcina, for, for joining this show and being part of it. And Erihota, so that is a big part of it. But yet you write that sometimes that's not always what the parent wants or the parent's goals around it can change. I think you even said at one point that it's the parents that can cause can be one of the things that causes the method to backfire. What do you mean by that? What what are some right. of the downsides of parent participation? Right. I think the the greater the sort of parental investment and sort of expectations are on the child, the greater the possibility is of, of it backfiring, as in any endeavor. I mean, if violin playing is sort of treated like a, another after school activity like martial arts or any other sports where you progress from one book to the next level, I think you can 
as a parent, lose sight of why you wanted your child to learn this language of music in the first place. So I think it's um, it's an easy pitfall that <laughs> any parent can, even the devotee of um, Suzuki philosophy, Suzuki himself realized, could fall very easily. So I think it's a kind of a, I, I think it's a blessing. I think he even said so himself in one of his essays that it was a blessing that he didn't have any child of his own because yeah, that's amazing too. Distance, basically. That's so funny. So that he could have distance with it. That that and and he made a point of trying to address the fact that with this Absolutely. progression, it's a very clear numbered progression. People can get very competitive. I mm-hmm. I started on the cello uh, when I was around eight or nine, which was quite late for for mm-hmm. the Suzuki method. And I remember my parent commenting on how all the kids were so much younger oh. than me. Right. <laughs> so you always had this sort of sense of like, ah, I've got to. Yeah. I've got to get to a certain certain level. Um, yes, it's like the color belts in judo or karate. <laughs> <laughs> so obvious to the amateur eyes as well. So. Yeah. Well, Jeremy writes, I learned violin partly from the Suzuki method, and I still play today, 40 years later. I use the books in sequence to gain proficiency in the instrument, but always felt that the method itself produced technically brilliant, but soulless musicians. There is no passion for music in the method. Music is a language of the heart, not just the brain. Ooh, Kathy, what do you think of that, that it produces more technically brilliant rather than sort of musically brilliant? This is the Suzuki philosophy. The main goal is to develop the character of the child, to have their personality come out in the music, and we can't lose sight of that as successful as we have been producing musicians. So I my I have a quote here. It says, a technician is amazing, an artist is moving, and a master is always learning to be both. So in order for us to be the artist, we have to know the piece so well. That's when he was throwing those math problems at me, at me during Tchaikovsky, so that we are then free to think about what message we want to send through the music. So I don't agree with that. <laughs> Arihata, though, you have said that that there is, you do have a sense that the the method was doing a lot more or had unrealistic expectations of what it could lead children to achieve. What made you reach that conclusion? Well, I think, well, even just looking at my own experience with my daughter playing um, the violin, the Suzuki method way, I think there was a kind of implicit expectation either um, in Suzuki's own writing or from teachers' words, I could sense that there was some connection between um, good character building and the attainment of musicality. Um, And that two go hand in hand that if one achieves the other, the other half would come automatically, Um, which is not the case. I think you have to strive for both. But I think because they are kind of discussed in the same vein for good reasons and right reasons, I think people get, parents especially, sort of muddled parents get confused that, oh, if my child could, you know, reach book 10, she will have achieved good character as well, which is not the case. 
So do you feel that his larger education philosophy was well-known or accepted broadly? Or do you really think it's the musical, uh, the sort of the, the aspects of the musical method itself that really are his legacy? Uh, is it for me, Mina? Yes, oh. Ari. Um, I think I think um, because of the sort of pervasive influence of the Suzuki method, uh, I mean, even the, in the United States, but even in Japan, but I think it's considered to be a musical methodology rather than a philosophy or kind of revolutionary program to change the society for the better as Suzuki had expected, which is okay because I think music has changed so many lives and I think the idea that one can attain sort of self-improvement and you can keep improving through music or whatever learning or teaching is a good philosophy that can be applied to any other um, walks of life so that's I think okay that the worldwide revolution didn't happen okay that's too bad but that's fine but the idea that the Suzuki method is exclusively music oriented is a false one. And that has to be kind of corrected. And that's one of the reasons why I was interested in writing this book, really, to introduce the man and this broad expanse of philosophy and the, the historical context that produced it. Yes, that because that has been rather lost uh over time, it sounds like, or de-emphasized over time. We're talking with Ari Hota, and Ari's book is Suzuki, The Man and His Dream to Teach the Children of the World. Kathy Lee is also with us, a Suzuki Method educator, who will actually be giving a seminar on bow instruction in July at the Northern California Suzuki Institute at SF State. Also the author of Bow Exercises, Bow Strokes, and Bow Stroke Excerpts. Uh, she studied directly with Shinichi Suzuki, who is the topic of our conversation today, the founder, creator, the educator of the Suzuki Method. You, our listeners, are sharing your Suzuki Method relationship, your Suzuki Method stories, 866-733-6786, the number. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Email them to us at forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. If you've ever seen a little child playing the cello, a three-year-old playing Mozart on a 116th violin-sized violin, if so, you probably saw a student learning the Suzuki Method, which is what we're talking about this hour with Kathy Lee, a Suzuki Method instructor who studied with Shinichi Suzuki, the founder of the Suzuki Method, the creator of the Suzuki Method. Eri Hota is the author of a new biography of Suzuki titled Suzuki, the Man and His Dream to Teach the Children of the World. You, our listeners, are sharing your Suzuki connections and Blaine writes, my granddaughter said she wanted to learn cello and she was very serious about it. So I bought her a tiny cello and the special chair her teacher specified. She's learning so fast and I get to buy her the next Suzuki books each time she moves to the next level. So that is a lot of fun. She really took to it amazingly quickly and loves it. It's such a joyous part of her life. Alice writes, I learned piano with the Suzuki method. Those group recitals were nerve-wracking, but also created an incentive to practice because you did not want to be the kid who messed up. Also, in our Asian family, there were so many family recitals after dinners with our cousins. Everyone was studying Suzuki. It was like a cousin competition. But thank you, Mrs. Ho for helping me to nail it and outplay my annoying older cousins. Oh, Kathy, there's a shout out to a a Suzuki teacher right there. Why do you think it took off so much in the U.S., Kathy? The educators that brought it back to the United States were amazed at what the potential of children could do. That was not the realization. That's his gift to us, that there's this young child with potential to do great things. Let's let them do it. Uh, so I think it's been really important to say, yes, music caught on here, and but it's also about keeping a balance in that child's life. You know, this uh, last commenter talked about their Asian family. You said that you gravitated <clears throat> towards working with Suzuki because when you were growing up, there was this notion that Asian Americans or Asians could not play the Western classical music canon, that somehow they lack the emotionality to perform the music. Talk about laboring under that stereotype. Yes, that was a very uh, conscious effort on people's part to say, you shouldn't be doing this, even though I was born in America and had grown up listening to classical music. So when I went to Japan, what a joy it was to be in an environment where everyone obviously was mostly Asian studying and that you were encouraged to study classical music and the violin. It was just such a different environment, which impacted the importance of environment. Yeah. But Arihota, you've talked about how even Japan underappreciated him or his sort of soft power culturally. (laughs) Yes, I think he was sort of considered to be a kind of lovable but um, kind of quixotic, eccentric, who preached um, sort of educational reform and sort of engaged in this um, kind of genius production, which was the opposite of what he wanted to convey. So I think that was unfortunate that because of the kind of spectacle of small children playing so fluently on the violins or cellos or pianos, I think uh, you know people just quickly misjudged him and his sort of social endeavor. And I think there were many subscribers to the method, but not as many as say on the scale of America where really it took off because I think in America, um, there had been public school music programs before, even before Suzuki Method came to um, came to dominate the strings program in public schools. I think the firmament was there, 
Whereas in Japan, I think um, people who picked up violins were either very um, socially privileged or wealthy or nouveau riche or whatever, but um, but also exceptionally gifted because it's it was considered to be a very difficult instrument. So I think it was kind of a, um, a buried in in this kind of uh, stereotypes of little geniuses and mm-hmm. um, kind of. Um, the exact opposite of what you know Shinichi Suzuki wanted society to understand talent to be. Well, let me go to caller David. Hi, David. Thanks for waiting. Um, sure. Can you hear me? I can. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Um, you know, I'm a professional uh, violin teacher. And I actually had mentioned uh, to the commentator that I had written a book, a chapter of which I devoted to analyzing. Oh, I'm so sorry, and Dave. Can you speak more to your phone? Um, you're, we're losing you a little. Sure. Um, I have written a book, a chapter in which I, devo- I, I devoted a chapter to analyzing Suzuki's method and trying to see, you know, what's good or what's not good about it. And what I discovered is a, a few things that these the philosophy of teaching basically comes from Johann Pestalozzi. I mean, it's almost identical verbatim if you read Pestalozzi's books. And Suzuki studied in Germany as an adult. I think he may have picked up those ideas there. Mm. The second thing is that Suzuki based his method on how he learned how to play the violin at the age of 18. Now, Suzuki never became a great player. And the actual method that great players have used to learn piano and violin is very different, which is basically old Russian, not Soviet, old Russian method. And that method, I'll just give you one simple distinction, is um, that method begins with very amorphous motion, not very controlled. Flow Mm -hmm. is the main thing. Whereas Suzuki's method begins with very controlled, tiny little bow strokes, um, which are segmented. And the thing is that that Suzuki thought that was the way he found it easiest to learn. But that, unfortunately, builds as a structure for the student um, the idea of segmentation, not the idea of flow. So, hmm. and the other point is that... You, I'm, Europe, I'm, yeah, David, well, I, you know, let me get Kathy's just response to that, because I think it's interesting. Kathy, in terms of just, I do remember the tape on the bow, so that you would keep the bow in these little segmented areas. What is your reaction to what David is saying in terms of how, you know, the really great musicians would not have learned something, would, would have flourished more under a method that was more open, or had flourished under a method that was less the, segmented? The key to teaching is playing with a balanced body, and a balanced bow arm in the case of violinists. And that's where the beauty of bow exercise is, which does not, it teaches you to control a whole bow long before you need to use it, so that when you put the bow on the string, whether whatever size note you're playing, has a beautiful sound. So it's all about the physicality of playing with a balanced body and a balanced bow arm, which when you observe Suzuki teach, he has this, ease a physical ease of motion and that's that's the difference how you i would think yeah well well, let me go to caller Allie in santa rosa hi Allie. um hi just a second let me get you off speaker hi um 
I actually know Kathy Lee because my son went to her um, in, her Suzuki Institutes in Northern California every summer, and she taught um, my son's teacher, Melanie Webster, and um, we loved those institutes. But what I was going to say is that I, I'm a piano teacher, and I used to go to all of my son's lessons and um and because there's such a parent buy-in especially at the beginning and I learned so many things as a teacher and my favorite thing I mean there there's just there are too many things to mention what I learned as a teacher from this way of teaching but the thing that I love and that just like has blessed me as a teacher forever is this idea that which was taught which I think was taught by Suzuki, that there's this number of repetitions to mastering a piece. Mm. So it's not like you're good or you're bad or, you know, you're not learning fast enough. It's like every child that comes through my studio door, it's like there's this magic number and and me and that child don't know what that number is yet. (laughs) And so instead of you didn't practice, you know, which is like, you know, every teacher is like, oh, my God, why didn't you practice? You <laughs> yes, yes. But I don't even say that word. I say, oh, how many repetitions were you able to do? Okay, mm-hmm. so it sounds like this week you didn't have as much time to do the repetition. I wonder if you could get this many repetitions in, yeah. and we'll see. And yeah, then I when like they come that, back, Ali. it's like that wasn't, that wasn't the, you know, that was the right amount or that, or, (laughs) you know, let's adjust that or whatever. But now I don't even say the P word. I don't say practice. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sort of reimagining that for me. Um, (laughs) The the words that I would dread from my own teacher. Um, But you know, that point about repetition, there is a listener, Gregory, who writes, is there a Suzuki method for learning physics, engineering, etc.? Or have you found that you can apply the Suzuki method to other things since? And I am curious, Erihota, about who are, who would you say are Shinichi Suzuki's contemporaries? And they're not Always in the math. I mean, always in the music field, right? There's even some in math and so on. Right. Well, um, I think one global name that we all recognize is um, Toru Kumon, the founder of the Kumon um, learning system or method. And he was actually very much inspired by Suzuki. And he was mm-hmm. younger than Suzuki. And as a high school math teacher, he was very sort of struck by this idea of repetition, um, sort of a self-guided study and also, um, you know, finding your own pace, basically. Um, so I think he really felt that his philosophy, that Kumon's philosophy was very much one and the same as Suzuki's. And they really had this mutual admiration society going on and uh, helped each other's endeavor. Um, but also Suzuki was very much interested in applying the methodology, his learning approach to different areas of learning, especially at the sort of preschool level. He even opened the preschool and started teaching children mathematics, uh, calligraphy, gymnastics. Um, I think for math, you know, he used this system of counting numbers up and down, like uh, as in, you know, 
reciting ascending and descending scales in music and for memorization of um, Japanese vocabulary and appreciation of poetry, he uh, let very young children memorize hundred uh, haikus um, playing card games. So it was very much applicable. And that was the point that Suzuki really wanted to um, put across and even you know, ask the government to help implement that kind of learning opportunity for everyone, meaning that public schools should be reformed. Well, historian Arihota is author of the book Suzuki, The Man and His Dream to Teach the Children of the World. And we just had that shout out from Ali to, to Kathy Lee, our guest, who is a Suzuki Method educator and studied directly with Shinichi Suzuki, the creator of the Suzuki Method. And you are listening to Forum. I mean, Kim. Let me read a couple of comments. John writes, I'm a professional music teacher and pianist who had my early lessons with a Suzuki teacher. I think it is an inspired approach for the very early years of music instruction, focusing as it does on listening as well as playing by ear. This is somewhat controversial, but it has become so important to me as a teacher, and I respect it now more than ever. Second, the repertoire on the books is truly inspired as it focuses on really good music and early works that get students playing with both hands at an early age. Third, Suzuki did admire the great Golden Age classical artists, and it is important to realize that this method attempts to cultivate the years of exposure that ideally help to gain appreciation for the European musical tradition. And Joe writes, I studied music at the conservatory in Mexico City and then went on to become a jazz guitarist for a little while. I remember very vividly back then as a teenager that all the musicians I most enjoyed playing with bragged that of being Suzuki Method students. They had their own distinct voices on their instruments, like the bass, piano, Etc. <clears throat> Ariote, the the desire to get public education to change was he successful in that in Japan? Not at all. No, um, it, it sort of fell on deaf ears, and I think, um, but the result of it was quite apparent. Disastrous, disastrous consequence of uh, not acting sooner was quite apparent by the time he was in his uh, late nineties with the education system sort of yeah. collapsing on its head. So, How did he respond to the fact that he didn't succeed in that? I think he never gave up the fight because he was interviewed on television in a talk show and he was asked exactly that, you know, you are known as a violin teacher, but didn't you want to you know, put across a bigger message? And he said, yes, that's true, and I'm still trying. Wow. Um, well... Listening to the comments, Kathy Lee, that um, that I just read for our audience, what do you think, even if he wasn't able to accomplish that, that the popularity of this musical method that is so broadly shared, um, I think at any given time, hundreds of thousands of students are learning it. What do you think the power is of something like that? I think studying in the Suzuki method it provides great life learning skills, interacting with people, sharing a language. So I've taught at international conferences where there's people from students from 48 other countries, and we all come together with our from our different cultures and have this unifying feeling of playing this music together. Whether we could talk, uh, speak their other language, we had the music of a language to connect us, and I think that's so empowering to all of us. What do you think about the impact of a musical method like the Suzuki method being so broadly adopted, Arihota? 
I think um, one can see the pervasive influence. I mean, if you sort of uh, take a look at the concert programs these days and sort of pick out professional violinists, you know, almost inevitably they had some kind of exposures growing up to Suzuki method. But beyond that, I think um, we still believe that music education is a good thing. And even though parents might not go attend classical concerts, they become experts, at least in the limited world of Suzuki repertoire, once they sign up their children to Suzuki lessons. So I think there must be some resilient uh, notion and belief that, yes, it's a good thing. And it, it can be such a life altering thing that can bring enjoyment for lifetime, not just in music appreciation, but in, in just in life in general so well Patricia, I think, yeah sorry go ahead no no i think that's the kind of uh, the broadest uh, sort of deepest legacy of the suzuki method well patricia writes my four children were suzuki students two taking violin and two taking piano the discipline of the method and love of music continues in their adult life when he was nine one of my sons scored nine goals in a soccer game he came home walked to his violin case took out his violin and played vivaldi to me, this exemplifies a beautiful balance and joy in life. So, Kathy, we're going to go out listening to Sonata Number no. 1 by Handel. I guess this is in Suzuki Book 7 for the violin. Tell us about this piece and why it is the final piece or from the final book. It's actually the final book is beyond the 10 books that you see published. It's actually Mendelssohn Concerto. Oh, um, I'm sorry. This yeah. is the seventh book. The seventh okay, book. seventh book. <laughs> I was going like, I think, uh, why is this part of that book? Because he chose repertoire as our building blocks to technique to train us how to be the best we could be at whatever instrument we were on. So it's well thought out, the sequencing of the pieces to develop different techniques. It's our etude books, right. but we get to have joy of playing really wonderful music. Well, Kathy Lee, it's been a joy to talk with you. Kathy Lee's Suzuki Method Educator and Eri Hota. Such a joy to read your book and learn more about Shinichi Suzuki. The book is Suzuki, the Man and His Dream to Teach the Children of the World. Grace Wan produced today's segment. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Grace. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.